back at it again. Yep. Sean Cass, very ape. A little fireside chat. Couldn't resist. Winter 2024. It's bristly outside. Yeah. But we're warm inside. Yeah. I don't know why this winter has felt much more brutal than other ones. I'm not sure why. Sobriety. <laughs> it's true. It is a uh, strange combination. You know, like everyone does dry January. It's like, that's a crazy month to do this. You know? What month would be most ideal to do dry, though? I thought, you know, maybe just because of Joe Rogan, it's in my head, but sober October, maybe just because it rhymes. I don't know. <laughs> that that does feel like around the time where it's just like, let's settle it down, you know. Because you had a wild summer. Yeah. You don't want to, you know, you're back to school. You don't want to sober it up too fast, too hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gotta have a good time. Totally. And your beginning of your semester. Yeah. But it is very toasty. I will say that. I'm already in a low-grade sweat, <laughs> which which I hope is good for me. <laughs> I hope it's good for the listeners. Thanks for joining us. Um, you, there's a ton more of our stuff on patreon.com slash church chill. I never say it at the beginning of the episodes, but I should. Yeah, because you're a good marketing guy. Well, I'm not good. Now I'm trying to be good. So um, professional. Yeah, if you want to give us $2 and uh, get all of our paywalled content, it's very much worth it. And if you want um, some of our merch, it's in limited supply. Cass is wearing one of them right now. I or love s- this or hoodie. hoodie. Yep. The best hoodie ever. Very comfortable. Very warm. Yes. So patreon.com slash church of chill. And we're about to put out um, an episode of uh, The Family Trip on our YouTube. Yep. Family Trip. Uh, I'm very excited about that one. I don't know if I... has. It's like we filmed it literally a year ago, so... Yeah, we filmed it a year ago, and we shopped it around, and I think it's a little too ahead of its time. So let's drop it on YouTube and get some hype going. And if you're interested in that, um, subscribe to our channel. I don't know. <laughs> Hit like, subscribe, and when it comes out, leave a little comment on there. Yeah, that I found helpful. out the comments really help things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, some sort of engagement. If we were more controversial people, I think we could get some sort of more back-and-forth engagement in our comments and it would blast our podcast out to more people that don't know about it but they don't deserve to know about it if they need controversy (laughs) you know (laughs) that's kind of how i feel you know what's another thing that i heard uh doesn't help on uh like a youtube thing is that we don't that we just do one static shot interesting like the the algorithm picks up on that that it's like it's like oh they're not trying fuck them and also saying the f word in the first few minutes doesn't help either so we're doing everything to crush our algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, girl, what's been going on? I feel like we've been in the cosmic fucking trenches lately. I've been feeling great. Yeah? Considering, yeah. you know. At least one of us is. One of us has to be feeling great. Um, I don't know. I think that this year is starting off strong. I feel like the moving of energy has just been such a opening like it feels like the fruits of our efforts aren't necessarily paying off but you just know that you're putting in the work so you're just like you trusting when you're putting in the work so consistently the fruits of your labor almost don't even matter yeah i think that's kind of fair to say i was trying to explain that to my dad this morning because you know we have some good things on the horizon and he's like what if they don't go good though (laughs) what if something happens and what if it doesn't go good and i'm like dad I know it, it is in our DNA as Irish people, to the doom and gloom thing. Well, yeah. But I'm like, how has it helped us? Besides a few good songs and a few good poems and this kind of thing, what, how, how has it helped our people to be so doom and gloom? 
you know? And then you gave him the, you gave him the speech about, you know, praying to the devil. Well, I said, we need your help. Yeah. Visualizing us doing positive things, not the, the negative thing of us getting the phone call that something's not happening or this is not going, you know, and this conflicts with that. And just like every, yeah. I don't even think of the things that he can think oh, of. Oh, oh my God. See, he's, yeah, he, he's so just, just worried. Like he's, he's the human embodiment of worry. And I see what that does to a person and what it does to their spirit. And I'm like, I don't want to go down that path. So I'm like almost like staunchly the opposite. We gave like such a good pep talk. And then as we're going downstairs, he was like, I just can't help but think, but what if? And he says like the most gloom thing. And I was just like, yeah, you need some help, man. I don't know what to say. Because I mean, I relate to it. I do. I do relate to like being your neuroplasticity is just in a like and your creative energy is going towards a what if and oh no and this could be bad and it almost is comforting to like imagine the worst stuff because then when the worst stuff happens you're just like i knew it was a possibility but in my mind in my mind you're just like if the worst stuff's gonna happen just let the worst stuff happen when it happens don't preemptively live in the worst stuff happening because then you have all the worst stuff happening for that much longer Mm. it's like when we went sky when i made you go skydiving with me for my 27th birthday was that the year 27 yeah it was your your 27th yeah i made you go skydiving with me and i was just like freaking out on the plane up not freaking out but you know just like you could see it i was like (sighs) (laughs) you definitely were you were spooked i was spooked i was scared i was like what am i doing and what am i making other people do you know as a person who's i'm very afraid of heights yeah like it's my fear it's the thing that pops me up from like a dead sleep yeah, but you went skydiving without me, and yeah. I was like, because you were... I had done it once before. You had done it once before, and I was like, okay, well, I this is like on my bucket list, so we're going to go. And I was scared shitless, to say the least. And you were like, don't, you don't need to worry about jumping out of the plane until you're jumping out of the plane. Like, yeah. just push, put off that worry. Why worry about that now? And I was like, it actually really helped me. And it's something that's helped me so much that... I use it for everything. I'm like, I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. And at the time, it really wasn't even meant to be like um, a life lesson or anything like that. It was literally meant to be, well, kind of what positive thinking can be is like a protective cloak, you know, like the best drug possible. You know, if if you're deluding yourself into thinking great things are going to happen for you, if you're deluding yourself into being pronoid as opposed to paranoid, How's that hurting anybody? How's it hurting anything? You know, like, this is what I was trying to say to my dad this morning. I'm like, so if this gig goes away, would you have wanted me spending the time between when we thought it was going to happen and when it didn't, um, toiling away and worrying, oh, I knew it, I, oh, of course, you know, or would you have wanted me to be deluded into being hopeful? Like, that. that's all, I mean, that's all it is, like, you know, and... I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's one of the sickest drugs out there. It's PMA, positive mental attitude. Yeah. I you know, if you have a win, even if it's never a win, you know, you might as well enjoy the moment where it feels like it could be a win. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Well, because it feels like the universe and people really respond to that. You know, when you have like a little bit of extra zhuzh in you, that well, extra pep in your step, because, you know, you think good things are happening. Well, Even it, though they're probably not. And then you know about the universe. It's kind of can, uh, like a desperate energy can be a little repulsive. Uh, a little bit. Well, you know. Does yeah. anything repulse us more these days than like like desperation, worry, anxiety, fear, you know? 
Yeah, no, it's 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 kind of there's some laws to this place. Mm. <laughs> there's some natural order and natural laws, and you can kind of hijack the system. Yeah, yeah. At least to have a good day, you know, not necessarily to be. I don't, I'm not even interested in hijacking the system to become like rich and famous. I just want to have a good day. Me too. To me, that's the cosmic warfare, and that that we're in the trenches for. Yeah. Right now, it's like. It's not about stopping the wars and solving hunger and, and, you know, peace on earth. And that's a, that's a much bigger thing. Um, I think it it's is about having a good day, but I think if more people focused on that, that we could solve all of those problems pretty much overnight. I hope so. I would like to know how to solve those problems and I would like to know it's just the insanity and how to stop it. And, and I would like to know that. So if anyone knows, please let me know. Cause I will. Mm. I just want to, uh, you know, we just got to pray for a better universe at the very least. It's like the least you can do. Yeah. And but that, you are the universe. Yeah. So if you're not doing those things for you, uh, how the hell could you possibly cast any kind of larger spell on anything? Does that make sense? It does. It makes sense to me. You, you got to start at home, you know. And that's where it's like... uh I so badly want to fight, but I, what I hate more than anything is fighting. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I know. I know. I'm like, can we stop fighting? Yeah. Yeah. My favorite thing you've said in the last six months is like, if someone lost their cat, it would be worth a ceasefire for that. Yeah. I mean, I said that on the podcast I to know. Noah. Cause no, I know. Uh, and it's my favorite thing you've said because it yeah. just like, for me, I'm like, yes. Yeah. Like, can we just be this humane towards each other that if someone... No matter what they've done to you and what's happened, like someone, let's like, someone lost their cat. Like everything needs it's to so stop. It's so heartbreaking. Yeah. But in order to feel that, you have to have access to your humanity. Yeah. And you have to have access to your compassion and empathy. And uh, that's a tough thing to do in the, in the fight we're in. Well, you also got to deconstruct this idea of winners and losers. And mm. I'm a winner and they're a loser. And we need to maintain this natural order of, you know, American exceptionalism and Western exceptionalism. And it's just like, it's honestly the ugliest thing that this world has going for it right now. And I think if the ugliness that we put out in the world came back to us, even a little bit, it doesn't, it doesn't humble our ass. It just like makes us like a bigger monster. Well, we got it with 9-11. Yeah. We got a little taste of our own medicine and we did not like it. And it set us up perfectly for the world we're in now where people don't even question their Islamophobia. Mm-hmm. It's just built into the whole thing because uh, they scared the shit out of us and we wanted to uh, destroy the Middle East and keep them in constant chaos, and we've done it. Yeah. but that, I, I This appre- is supposed to be a fireside chat. This is a fireside chat. Okay. This is what the fireside chats are all about. Okay, good. <laughs> but I do appreciate you... Um, kind of having the awareness because like it, like I really I, I know that the uh, the genocide that's being enacted on the Palestinian people right now tears us apart every day it just fucking it fucks with us it's hard to it's hard to do anything without bringing that up and it's not going to stop fucking with you because there are people who like their homes are gone like millions of people whose homes are gone yeah and it's like if we're not going to make People, th- we just won't make people thriving our problem. We'll just make destruction 
our mission Mm -hmm. with zero concern for the desperation that's happening in this country. And you think we don't care about homeless people here? We're definitely not going to care about homeless people over there. So that's why we can, with wild abandon, uh, level places because we've already decided as a culture that we don't care about people not having homes. We don't care about people not having food. We don't care about people being hungry. We hate refugees. We do. We truly hate refugees. It's it's like it's it's what this country, it's what this stolen land was built upon. <laughs> you know, it was it was people coming here from much worse situations and trying to make a better life for themselves. And it's kind of what's cool about this country. It's like. It's a melting pot of cultures from all over the world who are like, yeah, shit sucks here. Let's go make a better life in America. But not you. You're not worthy of a better life. You're not worthy of pursuing the pursuit of happiness. Like, this is our happiness to consume. And Yeah. Yeah. It's a certain sickness that we all have. It's a sickness of spirit mm. that uh, you can't really extricate yourself from in the United States. It just, like, is part of our dna and it's like a, a global dna of of uh and it, i guess it comes from like a fear versus love you know it's like if you, if you break it down to its root level is like being scared of each other and having like a a lack lack mindset like there's not enough space for us there's not enough scarcity mindset scare, yeah that's what i was going for that's that's what it is it's what it, yeah it's what drives all the problems is a scarcity mindset and Anytime you hear people saying like, oh, there's too many people, there's this and that, there's not. There's not too many people on this earth. We also hear people then saying there's not enough people to like replace this population. So we're going to have like a huge population crash. And that's what's happening in China and happening in different places in Japan where it's like their new generation can't even support the generation that's going out. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know what I, how I feel about population it's these ideas are just like too big for me. Yeah. So so that, that just it shows that that's not what you have to worry about or think about too much. You know, it's good to have a sense of that type of stuff, but it's I I've just learned to uh not let things out of my immediate control throw my nervous system out of whack. Cuz I think my nervous system gets out of whack a little easier than yours cuz of the household I was brought into. Mm-hmm. brought up in like you know, the screaming and yelling and insanity and overreacting catastrophizing and we all have just like lit different levels of sensitivity like and whether it's merkabas or just earth's earth energy in our chart or whatever it is like there's just or being an artist or whatever there's just different people being autistic being neurodivergent whatever whatever it is going on around here <laughs> yeah yeah god knows my grandma died this week. Yeah. The the last of our of our grandparents, of our eight grandparents combined. She was the last one. Crazy. 90 years old. Born in 1923, I believe. That'd make her 100 years old. I mean 1933. Sorry about that. It's okay. Um but it's it's upsetting. We I mean we didn't have that close of a relationship, but how do you not have a close relationship with somebody who carried your DNA forward and allowed you to live and made a lot of sacrifices so she could have my dad? I mean, she had my dad at 18 years old in the Catholic Church. That was crazy. She had she had to lie about wedlock. Yeah, out of it. Well, it was it was within wedlock, but just under the wire. 
right. like just under the wire shotgun wedding does it count if you're like conceived out of wedlock? that's what they call it a shotgun wedding i think mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure what that that's what that term's for but um i never had a problem with her I, but good lord did she have lots of problems with lots of people and uh including my dad really first and foremost she saw something in him from day one that she didn't like. And my mom very astutely said it was a reflection of her father who didn't treat her right. Right. She looked at my dad and she couldn't help but see her father. And, uh, yeah, he just got treated a certain way by her, which was which was brutal. Well, also just the idea that he was a mistake. Yeah. You know, that, you know, a lot of shame brought on her and the family by yeah. her having him at such a young age, right? Yeah, my, my dad's whole life was imbued with shame because that was like the prevailing emotion while she was pregnant. When she conceived, while she was pregnant, when she had him, all of that stuff, that was the prevailing emotion from his mother. And I think um, it's it's like no coincidence that he ended up like a worry wart. And someone who sought escape through drugs and alcohol and God knows what else, you know. But uh, I still want to honor her. And I, I still think she was a, a beautiful soul who had who had the right ideals in mind, but just had such a fucked up upbringing herself. That's kind of what makes me think of what we were starting the podcast with. Like, like our country is sick because it like started like it you know yes it's like the sickness just gets passed down yeah you know yeah well and it, and it and it is and even to the point where you could pinpoint a certain kind of sickness mm-hmm. you know like it makes sense to me why my dad ended up the way he ended up when i hear him tell stories about his relationship with his mother you know his his dad died when he was like 27 his dad was 49 years old just when he died. very young yeah died of a heart attack in front of me and my mom I was only six months old and you know, he was the the positive force in the family. He was the PMA guy. <laughs> Except and when it came to weed. Yeah, no. He, well, I mean, he, he definitely took the per, the cultural prescription of like what to be for and against at the time. And it was like, he look, they were lucky. My dad was lucky in the sense that he came up in like the fifties and sixties. It was a very idyllic time. It was like when we say like make America great again for white people, it, it, they're talking about that age when the tax bracket when the tax rate on uh, millionaires was 70 percent. yeah something. yeah exactly we like to conveniently let that part slide oh yeah totally and yeah and the middle class was thriving and so my dad had a good upbringing in the sense of like uh whatever they could afford to send him to private school so a nun could beat the shit out of him instead of <laughs> they, you know <laughs> it was stuff like that but um yeah, he, he like he lost his dad, and and th- that really sucked the light out of the family. And all that was left was that was the void of my grandmother, who was very very hard on my dad and very judgmental. And Grand- I, the void of your grandfather. Yeah, but I'm I'm also talking about the void that she she is. I'm I'm not even that wasn't a mistake in my words. Like oh, okay. she was a void in mm-hmm. a sense, and avoidant. Mm-hmm. And um, I think when you're like that, when your mom's like that, you're going to seek certain forms of escape. And that happened to conveniently time out for my dad with LSD and uh, quaaludes and black beauties and all the stimulants that came along in the 70s and 80s and all the beautiful prescription drugs he abused my whole upbringing and continues to kind of fuck with. I, I get it. 
I get it when I hear him tell stories about like how she was with him. And even growing up, like my dad at one point made a huge, God damn, a huge kerfuffle <laughs> to say the least in our lives. He, he stole our, um, our, uh, what are they called? Our primary care doctor. He stole his prescription pad and was writing fake prescriptions all over town for himself. That's a bad one. Oh, God, it was so bad. It was like like when he got caught, it was like he was looking at at least five years in prison. Wow. This would have been when I was like 12, 13 years old. And didn't old. you say that was like in the front page of the paper yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah, because my mom had just uh, become president of the school board. Jeez. Which is, this is the biggest school district outside of New York, outside of the city in all of New York. And that's an elected position. Like my mom ran for and won to be president of the school board. While she had four kids. While she had four kids. And she was going in there with a revolutionary mindset. Like we got to change things up a little bit. And so she was a fighter. That's how she got elected. So the powers that be are, were looking for any excuse to take her down. And I don't think that normally would have been a front page headline. But look at the timing of it all. So somehow the community rallies together and is like, Jack's actually a good guy, which he is. Yeah. He was just uh, fucked up, just fucked up. And his drug of choice only came from the pharmacies. Yeah, looking for the love of his mother in every pill bottle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, so he was writing these fake prescriptions, got caught, and was looking at at least five years, and it was terrifying. It was really terrifying, and people were, like, making fun of me on the bus and shit. It was, like, super embarrassing. And I didn't even really know how to speak to it because I was like, you know my family. They just, like, kept me in the dark about it. It wasn't like they sat down and said look, here's what we're facing. Here's what our future could be. It was just like, I was just picking up by on things by like overhearing conversations and shit. And, um, this is probably what made me such like a clear communicator as a person. I want to get my ideas across very clearly is like, nobody ever spoke to me like that. No one was ever straight up with me. So. Well, also to be heard, you have to be yeah, very direct. Yeah. So the community rallies together and writes like a million letters to the judge. Like, Cause your yeah. dad was like your little league coach. There was like, he knew a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was so much to so many people. He was the guy sponsoring a million people in AA when he was doing that. He was, <laughs> That's kind of hilarious. He helped a lot of people. <laughs> it's just crazy to like help a lot of people, but also be like, he like, you know, like how, how Jerry Garcia could have used the grateful dead in his life. My dad could have used it. A, a Jack. Uh, you know, in his life, like somebody that was just loyal to the core. And, um, it's, it's just like good qualities. It's, it's kind of fucked up that we like criminalize certain things. What he did was very bad. Just, there's no two ways about that. Yeah. But did this guy deserve to be in prison for five plus years? I don't think so. Neither did the community. So the community rallied together. Some really high up people said, no, he's actually a good guy who's just struggling right now. And the judge took mercy on him and gave him five years probation and a goddamn uh, ankle bracelet. So for a year, literally coaching Little League, he had a fucking goddamn ankle bracelet, an ankle monitor on. And this was uh, this would have been the early 90s. So this thing was no joke. I don't know if there needs to be a movie about your dad's life or your life with your dad, you know? Yeah, I don't even know. I don't know. We, we've done a podcast with my dad, but it was like everything leading up to this. We talked about all like kind of the, the 
the more fun times with drugs. And then before you have four kids and there's consequences. Well, before you turn to pharmaceuticals and like really hardcore stuff that just before cracks all over the place. Before crack and but you know like when he was messing around with uh, hash and LSD. Which are my drugs of choice. And like a little one that'll throw you for a loop, like a little Jimson weed here and there. A little Jimson weed to keep <laughs> you honest. <laughs> to keep you scared. Yeah, we did a short film about that called Demons in the Street. It's on our YouTube channel. Um, so yeah, so he gets this, this ankle monitor and five years probation, which is like dodged a bullet. Because like now at least he's still in the family. He can still keep his job. He can still keep earning all this shit. Is this the time that he um, went he called in a prescription and then went to get it filled and then they busted him and then they let him out on the streets again and then he called another prescription in the same no, day. No, that was before this. <laughs> he got arrested twice in the same day for the same crime. <laughs> By, That's uh, classic. This is, this is before he dialed it in and was like, let me just steal a prescription pad. He would call and pretend to be a doctor and he, you know, he did it and was coming out of a CVS and they got him for it and uh, he somehow got himself out of jail. And went and just literally did the same thing the same day. Got arrested again. This is back when you used to be able to get away with this stuff. Like, he has multiple DWIs. I don't even know if you can accumulate multiple DWIs these days. He got a DWI where he had a pound of weed in the car. And he didn't get, like, in that much trouble. So the benefits of being a smooth talker. Benefits of being a smooth talking a white guy from the middle class. Yeah. Back in the eighties when like and the amount of DWIs he didn't get. Well, yeah. Where he he would get pulled over and the cop would be like, Oh, Jack Dunn, you sound like a good Irishman. I'll I'll follow you home. You know, just make <laughs> make sure you get home safe. That type of shit. But um so it, 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 like look, anyone else would have this brush with the law and the brush and, and a brush with like potentially going to prison and losing your family and take it very seriously. But for my dad, this was going to be an issue to be on probation and have, have the state looking down at you all the time. Like it really meant he had to stay clean. And, um, his mom called his probation officer and said, I think my son's fucked up. You should go drug test him. What the fuck? That's God bless you, Mayor, because I know you're one of my angels now, and I know like that was just earthly stuff that really dissolves when and someone dies. And she probably dies. really believed it. Mayor is my grandmother's name, by the way, not yes. our ex-girlfriend. Yes. Um, <laughs> but God bless you, Mayor. I don't know. I I don't know who you thought you were protecting or what you thought you were doing, but that sent just crazy chaos into our life. I'll just I'll never forget not understanding as like a 12, 13 year old boy, my dad sitting there just drinking gallons of water, just like you wouldn't believe. Like so he could have right. killed himself. She was probably right to, not, not right. It wasn't she right was, to There's do nothing it. right about that. There's nothing there's right. There's nothing right about reporting somebody being a snitch. There's nothing, there's nothing commendable about that. I don't care who you think you're helping. It's not, it's no good. He needed rehab. You know? yeah, he yeah, needed yeah. his mother's love, not his mother's shame. And, uh, I'll just never forget. And that's just like one of Wait, so he was just so so he's just drinking like a shit ton of water. Yeah, he was like pounding water and like like this is before you had all these things that you could do to get around those kind of drug tests. So like he just really didn't even know if he was going to get popped or or if it was going to spike on a drug test or something like that. Didn't he like get locked up in front of was it your sisters or something? What do you mean? Like not locked up, but like put in handcuffs or something or like the cops came when your grandma called? No, the cops didn't come, but okay. he like they they were like, oh, "Okay, cool. Yeah. 
you got to take a drug test Monday morning. And this was like on a Friday. And it was like the craziest weekend of water drinking. It's the most water he's ever drank. It's like, <laughs> maybe it's why he doesn't like water now. It might be. We can't, we can't convince him to drink three ounces of water. He's like, I had my water yesterday. What do you, I drank water two days ago. <laughs> um, he's hilarious. He, he really is, is the absolute funniest. But like, imagine having that level of contention with your mother going through life. That she's snitching on you. That she's snitching on you. She'd rather see you behind bars than catching a buzz. What are we doing? So, um, like, like, and it's crazy because she treated me the complete opposite. I w I could do no wrong in her eyes. And, um, God, there was just countless situations like that. And, I don't know how much how, how much can you really blame my dad when you have that context for how he came up and you know I remember once you doing DMT and just being like I I see the chain of like I think it was like almost specifically with your dad and your mom It was yeah. it was I like I smoked DMT in our our old apartment in Greenpoint and um I had probably done DMT like a half a dozen times before that and they were all just like very confused, like, whoa, I'm, I was just in like a fractal universe. But, th but this specific time, it felt like I tapped into like the cosmic hose of love that goes throughout generations, like just a super zoomed out look at what life and what love is. And there was a kink in the hose right before it got to my grandmother mare and, um, there just wasn't as much. It's like when you kink a hose, it's like some still gets through. And there were some, it was, it was droplets. You know, water's supposed to be coming your way. But you it know just you're in didn't a hose. come through. Yeah, it just didn't come through. And, yeah. it, and, and it didn't come through for her. And therefore, it, how the hell would it get passed on to my dad? Thank God he had his dad who literally just represented the opposite type of energy, PMA all day. Mm -hmm. And highly successful, just out there killing it, killing it in life. And it killed him. Yeah, but um, she's with us now in spirit, and I... Uh, Do you know what day your grandfather died? Because isn't it around probably the same time? Yeah, I think it was January 14th. Wow, okay. January 14th, um, 1982. See, so it was like six months to the day after I was born. And he was so proud of me, and he was so, you know, excited to have a grandson and... He was the man. You see, like now sideburns. I mean, that's where I get them from. You know, I yeah. have these crazy ass sideburns, and I'm like, I don't know why I feel compelled to do this, or why you feel compelled to shave me this way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think that's my way of honoring him now. Yeah, you know, the John Joseph Don. The other morning when we found out she had passed, your mom pulled out a, a book and and we and you read this passage that was really good that I think is like one of the should I read it? Do you have it? Yeah, well, I took a picture of it. Yeah, read it. I, I barely remember this. I was uh, surprisingly very emotional. I think I had to, I think I had to do the grieving for the whole family. Yeah. I think because her presence in the family hardened so many people, and um, that it, it didn't do to me. Well, they have like know. certain traumas around her and how she treated them at certain times where they really needed her and she wasn't there kind of stuff. So that oh, yeah. a and lot I, of that stuff, you know, you think when someone dies, all the good stuff comes up, but actually a lot of not the great stuff comes up. No, first. totally, totally. So I, th I think it's, it, it's a blessing in a way that like I'm such a head and that I've like remained sensitive and um, have access to those emotions. 
because I felt like I was like I I was uncontrollably crying and I was like wow this is kind of crazy like I didn't expect this but maybe I was doing it on behalf of my father and his sisters and yeah I think so yeah do you want to read it or I can try oof sorry okay uh, and and I'll say this is a this is a prayer from from my grandmother Mare. Yeah, and anyone in your Mary life. Mary Barrett Dunn. And anyone in your life that uh, may be on the cusp or maybe we recently lost. I pray that you will have the blessing of being consoled and sure about your death. May you know in your soul there is no need to be afraid. When your time comes, may you have every blessing and strength you need. May there be a beautiful welcome for you in the home you are going to. You are not going to somewhere strange, merely back to the home you have never left. May you live with compassion and transfigure everything negative within and about you. When you come to die, may it be after a long life. May you be tranquil among those who care for you. May your going be sheltered and your welcome be assured. May your soul smile in the embrace of your Anam Kara. Mm. Beautiful. I don't know what that is, though. Um, Anam Kara. Do you want me to look it up? Mm, you don't have to. But it must mean something. Everything else is like totally makes sense to me, and then they throw in two words at the end, and I'm like, I'm not sure what that is. I think this guy, the author's uh, John Donahue. Anam Kara is a phrase that refers to the Celtic concept of the soul friend in religion and spirituality. It's the, yeah. It was popularized by John O'Donohue, this book. Mm. It's Celtic wisdom, right? Yeah. How come it's not the Boston Celtics? Because like, they're from Boston. You know how it is up there. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, though. Soul friends. Yeah. And are considered an essential an integral part of the spiritual development. Anyone without a soul friend is like a body without a head. Wow. It's pretty dramatic. That's it's very Irish. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all I can see now is like she's at peace all that all that turmoil that that drove so much of her her behavior and her behavior towards my father is uh, it's it's peace now. And uh She's reunited with my sister, Aaron, Patricia. She's reunited with her husband, John Joseph, and her daughter, Colleen, who also passed away a few years ago, tragically. So we honor them. They have our back. They have our back. I went up to the cemetery, and I, I saw birds. I saw a lot of birds. And I was like, okay. You know, that always makes me think of the recently past. I think it'd be cool to come back as a bird. I mean, to be able to fly would probably be as cool as it gets. Yeah, but you have, you're stuck with a bird brain. I don't, is that so bad? It's not so bad. I mean, I, I just think of it all the time when I see, uh, when like we go to like great, like out, outdoor shows, like, you know, you go and see some version of the Grateful Dead. And these birds get in there for free. 
They get exactly. to just swim around See? in this sonic landscape. Exactly. It's pretty awesome. And then sometimes there's birds that just, you're like, why would you want to hang out here? You can fly anywhere else. What are you doing? And What are they doing? Well, they're looking for French fries, you know. Okay. Soul friends. Yeah. That's their version of soul friends. <laughs> they're looking for French fries. <laughs> yeah. So... That's, uh, I mean, look, my, my grandmother lived till 90. Your grandfather lived till... 93. 93. Your dad's parents lived to 79 and 89. That's a pretty good run. Oh, you, I don't even know that. I, well, I, their headstones are... There's a picture of their headstones printed out for some reason in the other room. Yeah. Um, so I was doing the math. I, I was just trying to, I was just trying to calculate. I, I, was, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm just like, how much time do Cass and I have together? <laughs> Like you know what I mean? How how much how much time could we have together, if we made a great run at it? And don't get like anything take us out prematurely. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, nothing takes us out prematurely. We just like die of old age, like our grandparents did. Most of them, besides my grandfather, who died of a heart attack at forty nine. Insane. Um, That's why we don't like your dad out there doing physical labor. No, because well, it's literally he. My my grandfather shoveled the driveway, and came in and just dropped dead. And, and he, he had quit smoking a year before. Yeah. But you know what? A, a little factor that I, I'd never heard until recently. My dad said when his father quit smoking, every night after dinner, he would just get a thing of cookies out and a stick of butter and just put eat a stick of butter by putting it on <laughs> each cookie. And I'm like, oh, that's... A, it, Yo, that's how. That's why he died. He he <laughs> ate himself into like clogged arteries and destroyed yeah. his heart health. And uh, oh yeah. my god, that's hilarious! It's it's like a little stupid little detail that they tell me in my forties, like, and I'm like, that's what killed him. Like, what are we talking <laughs> you're, about? You're like, I'm been scared to shovel snow all this yeah, whole time. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But it does make me think. Despite my dad smoking, he we could maybe he, he could maybe last some more years. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to keep him healthy. I'm, I give him mushrooms every day. That's that's my attempt to do something i try to give him water i try to give him mushrooms and uh just try to have a good day i mean it was crazy like this morning we were talking about someone who like passes of, of a speed ball and i was like jack have you ever done a speed ball he's like a speed ball <laughs> <laughs> he's like no 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 and i was like what about heroin and he's like oh no 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 and then we're like and you're like yeah you did you fucking had an overdose in this house <laughs> yeah which means it's the last 20 years <laughs> I said, didn't Megan find you having a heroin overdose and had to call 911? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I never shot it, though. I, uh, I probably snorted heroin uh, three, four times in my life, which means 30 or 40 <laughs> with him. Uh, yeah. Insane. And I, 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 It's just like, you, you know, you've done a lot when you can't, when you, you overdosed of a heroin and you're like, oh, I didn't really do heroin. <laughs> I know. I remember I was driving around. I had my, my friend Mike in the car, and I was driving around, and my my Aunt Charlene saw me at the gas station. She's like, Sean, you got to go home right now. There was no cell phones back then, or I didn't have one. Everyone else did. I didn't get a cell phone until I was 24. Um, but I, I was driving, and my Aunt Charlene's like, Sean, you better go home. Your dad your dad is, uh, you know, something happened. And I, and I went home, and, yeah, apparently he had snorted some heroin, and a family member uh, that he was partying with kind of saw this situation and just dropped him off. Jesus Christ. Just dropped him off back at my parents' house. And my sister Megan was like, something's off here. Called 911 and he was having a heroin overdose. 
black tar heroin. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> I <laughs> just know that's what he had. It doesn't sound snortable. I know that's what we had. Yeah. Yeah. Well, s- he probably was smoking it. I, I don't know. I don't know. Can you overdose from smoking heroin though? I don't know. That's probably good that we don't know the answer. Yeah, I, I, I don't mess with any of this stuff because, and and it's crazy. Even now, like I'm talking about this stuff with such a sense of humor, but it was so serious. It was so serious for yeah, so course. long in my family, and it's kind of why I'm enjoying this time. Like that, we're reunited with them, and they they kind of need us, and they're more humbled, and um, you know, there's just like less pressure on them from the, the world because you're not like raising four kids in an insane economy. So they've calmed down a, a little bit, a little bit, but how the hell am I normal at all? How am I like not a total degenerate in every sense of the word? I don't know. Isn't there like some rule about things skipping a generation? Yeah, I think that's kind of why it does though because I saw so up close and personal what all this stuff does and what turning your life over to substance abuse can do to you. I was so worried about being an alcoholic that the first time, like maybe the second or third time I got drunk in like sophomore year, I was like, I quit. I'm not doing it. I think that was, it was a good instinct. I think that probably spared you a lot of bullshit. And a lot of the stuff we hear about, like just the tragedies that happen in young women's lives when they're fucked up at a young age and not looking out for each other and, because it was so, how long did you, like you had, when did you start drinking and when did you stop and then when did you start again? I mean, casually, very young, I would like drink a little bit. You what know? are we talking? How old? I don't know. Eight, you know, like. Whoa, Cass. But just, that's just like drinking the leftovers, you know. That's crazy though. The leftovers of what? Cocktails that the adults are drinking? That's still like pretty heavy duty. I think around freshman year is when I like probably got like really drunk for the first time. Sophomore year got really drunk. What was your first time getting drunk? I don't know. One of the first ones I remember was like a Valentine's Day. We did apple pie shooters at my friend Laura's house. I never even heard of that drink. I think it was like uh, probably like apple vodka and whipped cream and okay. I don't know. And, and it was just the girls. It was just the girls. And you were over at Laura's. But maybe there were a couple guys who stopped by, but it wasn't nobody I was interested in or would we remember. Yeah. Um, and you guys were just having a uh, like a girl's time, a little freaky deaky, just t- taking some shots and yeah, not blackout drunk. Yeah, right? but I like I, I, I fell down the stairs and like uh, cut my chin open. That night? Yeah. Okay. And then I woke up with my head on tile, like a, like a slate, uh-huh. and there was... Um, I thought there was blood, so I was just like licking up my blood, and then I realized it was <laughs> as one does. <laughs> as one does, and then I realized it was a um, a red candle had melted. Mm, wow! And so that was like one of those ones where I was like, okay, I went a little too far. Yeah. But the one that really got me was I like Laura's again, maybe the next year or later. I think it was sophomore year. So sophomore year, over at Laura's house. Yeah, I sat down with a bo- bottle of vanilla vodka. And my mom always said that, you know, you're an alcoholic if like there's a point in the night where you can't stop, where you just want to drink more Uh rather than, you know, that was like her, her litmus test. Yeah. That's like totally like like an alcohol. Like when you're not an alcoholic. That's boomer thinking about alcohol. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, she's like, well, I can have three drinks and then be like, that's enough. Your dad can have three drinks and he'll want like 
It is a it is a pretty good indicator it's that there's a, an issue. It's a litmus test. Yes, yeah. Of whether you're not like I've had enough or like there is no enough. Yeah. Um, but I just sat down and had eight shots of vanilla vodka, which was so irresponsible. Holy shit. And I remember shit, just Cass. like doing the shot because I just wanted to party. I wanted to have a great time. Yeah. And then I like passed the bottle to my friend, I think Liz, and I was like, don't let me take any more. I think I've had enough. I stood up and I like blacked out the rest of the night. <sighs> Woke up. I had like just stories about me being an asshole and puking on myself and swimming in my puke in the bathtub. And I they threw my clothes out, you know, just didn't. And I was like, you needed to be taken care of. Yeah. And I, I was like, that's, there was some like really cute guy. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I'm even embarrassed saying this now, but it's I, okay. I this, said, is, this is how we release it. We're burning it. We're yeah. burning it up. <sighs> yeah. Well, I, there was, I guess there was this like cute popular guy and I just like made an announcement in front of everyone being like, I don't see you're like, everyone likes you and I just don't get it. And I don't even, like, I don't, I didn't even have those, like, sober thoughts. I just, it was just a drunken asshole. Oh, this isn't recording. How long has it not been recording? I don't know. Oh, good, good. I hope we can edit that last part out anyway. Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry to the viewers for um, not having visual component for the past couple minutes. Anyway, it was just a horrible thing. Like, I, you know, I just, I don't want to be mean to anyone. You embarrassed yourself and potentially other people. Yeah. It wasn't just on you. Exactly. And that was just horrible um, to like find out about the next day. And so I quit for a couple of years, was the president of Students Against Destructive Decisions. Wow. So it really was... uh it created a shift in consciousness for you, like a really bad night that you were embarrassed about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that happens to a lot of people. Don't you know people who have like kind of overdone it and then yeah. they have to I know be somebody like, that overdid go straight it. edge. You I, know? I, I know somebody that overdid it. At that it. age, you kind of just have to be all in or all out. Like if you, if you embarrass yourself too young, too early, like you're, you're kind of best to be like, let me just make sure that doesn't happen. I, guess. I think that's probably the best mode of operation. I mean, it, look, if, if we had kids, I would say, don't get involved with drinking. You don't even need to know what that's all about. It's stupid. Don't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could lead to the worst night of your life. You could really hurt somebody. You could kill somebody. You could kill yourself. Don't do it. Like, it's such a destructive force. And alcohol wasn't even the issue in my household at all. Thank God, actually. I mean. Because what my dad was doing was not socially acceptable in any way. From talking to my mom, she the only thing she has said is like, at least your dad wasn't a gambler. You know what I mean? Like, there's always a worse. There's thing always you a can worse thing. Yeah. yeah, there's always a worse thing. Yeah. And it's like she's like, at least he didn't gamble. <laughs> yeah, because well, your mom was out there doing all the earning. Like, if your dad was gambling it away, oh lord, yeah, that would probably bother her. And I mean, your mom was a drinker at the time too, but she's not an alcoholic. No, she's like, I'll drink half the bottle so you don't drink the whole bottle kind of person. And then he just opens another bottle. And she's like, why did I just drink half a bottle? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, I know somebody that um, went so off the rails, like their first couple weeks of college had a night like what you just described. Just where you're the center of attention for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. And he fucking transferred schools, became straight edge, got straight edge tattoos, the whole deal. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Came back to drinking in a big way and hasn't stopped and really should, really deeply should. And you know who you are if you're listening to this. Get yourself some fucking help, for Christ's sake. Don't make this an issue with for your wife and your kids and your friends, and, you know. get Take care of yourself. We just need, we just need love. And yeah. I think that's like, and it's a big thing within the Irish community to look for it in the b- bottom of a bottle, yeah. you know, right? Yeah, but like, I mean, when you're in 10th grade, 
Is that what you were like? No, I wasn't even an alcoholic. Like I didn't even, I was so scared that I could be an alcoholic that I didn't even do my mom's litmus test. Like I literally sat down and just like consumed amount of alcohol that could have killed me at that that age. Cause I'm sure I weighed like, you know, 110 pounds or something. Same you do now. (laughs) I'm like 115. Thank you very much. I I have bigger boobs. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Then maybe you are an alcoholic. You don't you like we don't even know really like because to me it's it's no I know it's more than um it, it's more than uh oh I I can't stop once I start to me it's the personality shift well for me that's what to me is I'm like that's a fucking alcoholic when somebody gets a few pops in them and they become an overnight asshole and they they all of a sudden they're saying all the stuff they wouldn't say or maybe even a positive way you know like all of a sudden they're like less inhibited and they can finally say a nice thing you know or I, I don't know I don't even know what I'm talking about I don't have that much experience with it yeah I think I I think I did the test where like I'm not you yeah know, the litmus test at least by my mom's standards um but that's because I'm like a fairly happy disposition like yes that's why I won't ever touch heroin people are like it's no big deal it don't even worry about it it's like not even that great and I'm like okay but like maybe at some point in my life like I'll actually need an escape from life. And I don't even want to have heroin on the table. Like, you know what I mean? I agree. Yeah. It's less about like, yeah, right now I could probably do heroin and not be addicted. Like that doesn't mean I should try it. Take what life's throwing your way. Uh, I mean, I'm one to talk. I'm recently soberish, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. To me, it makes sense to process things more in that way. I, I love and, and party when there's not um, major issues on the table. Like I know there's a time and a place for me to party, but it's not when I'm deeply grieving or I'm angry or I recently lost a gig or we went broke. Or that's not the time to party. That's 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 I know what I'm seeking in those times is escape. Yeah, and I don't I don't even I don't want to talk about this too much because it feels like I'm talking about the bad times. But I just will say like our communication like has become so much better in the last month or so you know what i mean it feels not communication but just there's one way of putting it our our ability to to relate to each other because i think you're able to because you're not medicating certain habits that you you have more like awareness and can speak to it in a way that has allowed us to connect on a deeper level in the sense of when things do get hard because they still get hard Mm -hmm. you know we still have moments of tension with each other but our refractory period is shorter Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I think it, you talked when, about that a little bit on the last podcast, but now you have another week's worth of data points. Yeah, and I, it, it still, I think, rings true. Yeah, I think, like, you saw me have, like, a couple, like, I wouldn't call them dark days, just confused. And that's not like me. Because normally I would quash out the confusion with a bunch of hash and say, I don't By care. adding more confusion. It doesn't make me confused. It makes me not care. It makes me like totally fine with just like watching podcasts for the day. Mm-hmm. It placates me, but my soul doesn't want to be placated at all. At least right it now, it wants to take that shit. Well, I think, and I think what you're saying and what have been saying and what I appreciate is that you're like, look, weed has been great for me, and I'm sure it'll be great for me in another time. And there yeah, are times yeah. that it will be great, but like, you just you got to get bored with yourself like even your habits you know you just yeah. it feels like you have to switch it up because we're here to be human and experience like the breath of the human experience well and it's like when you take a tolerance break it's not just uh tolerance for weed it's tolerance for yourself 
that's the way I'm looking well, at it. Can you say more about that? Um, to- what do you mean tolerance for yourself? I I don't want to I don't want to tolerate that version of myself anymore. What version of yourself? That's fucking like just stoned and fuck it type of person. Oh yeah. I I, I don't know. I I think I became intolerant to that version of myself and i wanted to like kind of well you almost became intolerant to that version of yourself but also because that version of yourself was so intolerant to everything else for you the church of chill meant like don't fuck with my chill yes rather than just being like i am responsible for my church of chill yeah yeah, and i think that it like there's a more inner responsibility that can come forward when you're not necessarily using something to get you right there do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. When did you start drinking again? That would have been deeper into college, I feel like. I mean, like, yeah, I, like, drank some, but, like, very casually. I started getting drunk again, like, my junior year in college when I, like, was like, I'm ready to party again. I had, like, a long-distance boyfriend my freshman and sophomore year, and I was like, I- I'm tired of knitting. Yes. I'm tired of knitting and writing long papers and being a good girl. It's time to make out with every boy at this college. That's and girl. somewhat straight. And girl. <laughs> well, yeah, you went to a college. I think luckily for me, you went to a college where there wasn't a lot of straight guys. And, uh, yeah, that way nobody's really scapped you up. You were you were a free agent when I came across you. But I remember measuring out. I was like, three drinks is good. I'll have three drinks. Mm. And so I'd measure out three glasses of white wine. Oh my God, can you imagine doing that now? I was puking and crying literally like <laughs> three weekends in a row. And I was like, this is not working. From the three glasses of white wine? Yeah, because like if I hadn't eaten or yeah. you know what I mean? There's so like, many other factors with alcohol. Yeah, but like just because people can, because there are people who can handle three glasses of wine doesn't mean I can. Because mm. I would literally measure out six ounces of three glasses of white wine and be like, all right. I'll be good with this. And then I'd just be crying and puking and the whole thing. Wow. But I think for the most part, short of eight shots of vanilla vodka, I'm a pretty chill drunk. Like, I'm a pretty happy, happy until I pass out. We've had our issues a couple times, a well, yeah, couple few times. But I think that's because I'm working off of your energy who hates drinking so much that you're so angry at me that's drinking that you come, not to blame it all on you, but you come at me with a certain aggression where I'm just like, fuck you and you the aggression of i gotta get you out of here before you further embarrass yourself and therefore me i'm in charge of you you know it's you weren't just uh free agent Cass anymore when you know it it was like you're responsible for your person probably the same way that if if your parents went out and your dad got obliterated it it affected your mom in some way and it affected her standing in the community It, it affected the way people looked at her yeah no i know it's it's such a messy one it's and we all, and that's like this. That's just my story of drinking. But like, you have the same thing. Maybe a little later, where you like overdid it on what Jägermeister or something. Everyone has their like first yeah. drink that well, they like never want to see again. Yours, like, it seems like you're drinking, and it, and it adds up to barely anything, really. Your drinking was freshman and sophomore year, and then like junior senior year, junior senior year, and then maybe one more year after. Yeah, when we met. When we met, we and, probably partied together for like a year. Which was like, I got drunk with you one night, maybe like, maybe in our whole relationship, we've gotten drunk like six to 10 nights together. Yeah. Where we're drunk. Like drunk. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, but for me, I didn't, I, the first time I ever drank was, I was, uh, like 20 and a half, 
and my girlfriend was uh, she had turned 21 so it felt like you can go buy beer like let's try it and i remember i tried a a a beer and i was like okay this is okay and then a few days later was halloween this would have been when i was 20 so halloween 2001 maybe right after 9-11 hate to say it (laughs) (laughs) a month after 9-11 so it felt like the world was falling apart yeah because i'm like what what prompted this and now that i think about it like in the span of american history what prompted it is uh whoa what the hell is going on yeah being like very close to and and all of a sudden like you said in this household the news was on all the time it went from la-di-da to 24 7 news really felt like we were under this like idea that we yeah. were under attack and yeah doom and gloom and my ancient dna and going revenge. back to the yes my ancient dna going back to the motherland had a prescription for that and so yeah on halloween 2001 i uh drank a 40 up in the cemetery that we walk in every day it was so fun i drinking is fun yeah oh god it was the best it's it was so an old fun. english 40 and i was just like i just remember like there was all these accumulated gigantic piles of leaves and I remember just like falling in them and like swimming around in them and then going up to the deli I worked at and getting fucked with by the other people who had never seen no one had ever seen me drunk I was just like being silly the first two beers are like so fun and you're so happy and you have these rose-colored glasses the first 40 it's great and then you just and then it just goes downhill from there like you hurt yourself you hurt someone else you embarrass yourself you get sick you get hung over like yeah it's just truly in the scheme of things not worth the cost of it no not worth it but i drank from then till 30 pretty much so i I drank in my 20s and then weed helped you not drink anymore because you had something else yeah thank god well thank god i met you because i was surrounded by alcoholics before that like there there was nobody there there was no potheads. There was nobody thinking about anything other than when are we going to party and drink more. All my friends, everyone I worked with, the whole New York, the whole of New York City is very much aligned towards drinking. At least it was back then. Um, and uh, yeah, I didn't really even think of ever stopping, or it was never even a thought. Like. I'm I'm not drinking anymore. And then we just started smoking a little bit of pot and it just replaced it completely and where it just seemed fucking stupid. And I had a couple nights that you've you've seen me drunk I don't know how many times. Not that many like times. Like four times. Yeah. And two of them were just really bad to to the point where I'm like I I need help, you know. Like you're the most pathetic person I've I'm ever just pathetic. Seen. I'm just like puking on the bathroom floor and I need help and I'm like I can't get to bed. I don't know what the hell's going on. Like you need to give me water and a pillow. You can be brought a pillow into the bathroom and I remember the first time I was like you'll never see me like this again. I was like this is it. And I did it again like 4 years later. It's just ill-advised like that's the whole thing with me is like when I swear something off I should really just swear it off and I do a lot of the time. But alcohol is one of those things. It's like if you turn your back on it, you should keep your back turned on it because your tolerance goes down, you know. And I'm like, oh, and yeah. And if you had a I problem, haven't... then you probably have a problem again. Yes, you know exactly. I mean? well, it's you, not well, like oh, you're. It's not like oh, you've healed all your tra- trauma that makes yeah. you not care about like whatever. It's like yeah, yeah. And they tell you that in Alcoholics Anonymous, they're like, when you relapse, you'll get back to the bottom, like what your previous bottom was. You'll get back to that so much quicker and surpass it so much quicker than you could ever imagine. And uh, 
Yeah. I don't think I'm an alcoholic. I just think I hadn't drank in a while and I went out f- with a work friend and it just, no, one thing led to another, led to another really, and I was just fucked up off wine. Wine can be And that's really when intense. I was truly like, you will never see me like this again and you haven't. And that was 10 years ago. Thank God. But I did have good times drinking. Yeah, I can't, sure. I can't completely knock it. Uh, God knows where we would be without it. Yeah. I still think about it once in a while. Like, oh, I want to have a night. Yeah, but I think we have more refined substances to kind of get us to that same place now. Yeah, I mean, considering I want to drink like once a year, I might as well just take Molly and fucking party. You know what I mean? Like, I might as well just like <sighs> yeah, not just do the two beers that gets you like a love-eyed for like you know a couple hours but take like molly that you get like six hours and it's amazing well not only the six hours but then it could like really kind of change the course of your relationship and heal some things and help you you know move a lot of energy in your life yeah totally can i say something positive about my grandmother mare yeah please she she was always um like despite what i said about uh how she treated my father she pretty much treated me the exact opposite i could do no wrong i was like the golden boy but um if it weren't for her i probably like she encouraged me to go to ireland when i when i graduated college even though i had no money or anything like that i took what little money i had i found a cheap flight and she went to ireland with me and my sister and my girlfriend and my my uh my sister's best friend at the time and man, if it hadn't been for that trip, I might be married to my first girlfriend and have kids and shit. Because I was in such a confined consciousness about life. And I was working at the deli. And I kind of maybe had some stuff going in the world of uh, film and stuff. But it was so low level. Yeah, I was just like, I don't know. It just really opened my horizons in so many ways. And just help me see the world differently. Help me see the world as a bigger place. And uh, yeah, I don't think I would have done that if she wasn't going herself and hadn't encouraged me to go. And you know, my my dad's never done that. He's still never been back to Ireland or done anything like that. And just I don't know. It just really uh, I'll forever thank her for that because over there is where I was really having the heavy realizations about the track I was on and the person I was with and the the job that I had and that I really wanted a a bigger life for myself and that's where I started really dreaming it up for 15 straight days of drinking Guinness (laughs) never got drunk though it's weird over there like you can drink like like four or five Guinnesses a night and it doesn't really affect you well Guinness isn't the strongest (laughs) it's not the strongest fear but yeah, I I will I'll forever thank her for that for putting me in the position to get out of this country for the first time and introducing me to world travel and uh, something that's meant a lot to me and I'm glad that I I love my first girlfriend but I'm glad I didn't marry her and have kids and uh, kind of shrink the opportunity to become a filmmaker because that's that's what I that's what I'm here to do that's what I feel like I want to do I'm still committed to that twice. That was half my life ago. Yeah. And I'm still now, I'm like, we're doing this more than ever. We're deep in this thing. We're in this fucking thing. Well, my favorite memory about your grandmother bear oh, was. this is the best. <laughs> passing her the vape. Yeah. She and got she... high one and only time in her life. Yeah. And it was because of you. Yeah. 
because you had this because you're so cute and you're you're just like so like you don't seem like a troublemaker you don't look like a troublemaker i'm the wolf in sheep's clothing oh yeah for sure and you had this this very strong vape pen that we were trying to get my we were trying to get my sister caitlin to hit it because we were like maybe if katie could hit a vape pen of thc when when there's maybe seizures happening we could break them i still think that could help but we couldn't get katie to do it and I, I remember we were, I was like, look, here's how you do it. And I tried it and you tried it and my mom tried it. And then my grandmother was like, what is this? And she just like took it, ripped this thing. And well, she had a re- just started laughing. From my memory, your dad, I don't like, he was like, I don't really remember. But he came home and was like, she said some really nice stuff to me on my, on the, when yeah, I took he her drove her, he drove her home that day and they really connected. And I, I just remember her just seeming relieved, just like. All the stories, all the fucking the ancient DNA, doom and gloom, motherland bullshit that's just baked into us. All of her, the childhood traumas, everything just like went out the window for a minute. She was just like, oh, fuck yeah. And she was just laughing at us and smiling. And I'd never seen her like that. I never saw her like that since. So you provided for uh, a really, I don't know, interesting moment. It was just kind of like a in, fuck it. Like, here you go. In my family's, uh, yeah, in, in the, ho- the the hose of love that, that runs through the cosmos. Yeah, no, that was funny. <laughs> that was a funny moment. You really, that that was great. I so mean. that's a good way to honor Mayor and Weed. Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, I, I was there when, when your 93-year-old grandfather got high for the first time. He was like 91 at the time. Oh, yeah. And uh, him and your mom showed up at our apartment. And your mom was like, he wants to try weed. And we were like, all right. And we we packed a bowl for him, and he ripped it, and just went to another dimension, and just sat there and listened to us all just talk shit and just like be classic stoner conversations, whatever the hell we were talking about. And your mom was so on one that your grandfather thought that we had smoked uh, cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> but she just gets like that when she smokes weed. She gets a little more talkative. But he like he was very astute, you know, in the sense of because he's a he's a big he was a big cocktail drinker. Yes. Um, and I guess you can live to 93 and drink cocktails every day. Yeah. Um, but uh, he was just like, weed's cool. We, I, weed and basically his big epiphany about it. Not He wouldn't call it that. But to me, I was like, he's like, weed and alcohol don't mix. Yes. And yeah. it's like, Because yeah. he didn't want to drink as much that night. We went to Peter Luger's, the steakhouse in Brooklyn. And... Uh, he ate like a motherfucker. I mean, that definitely, it had that effect on him for sure. It it engaged his appetite. And yeah, like he ordered like a Manhattan or something at the bar. I think he might have got a little spinsy. Yeah, I think that, that the yeah, he was like he still really a shouldn't higher. be giving 90-year-old men the spins. Yeah. That I was mean, probably Introducing people in their 90s to weed is so funny though. It's so funny. But it, I mean, I can't, I can I can't even... There's a lot of people I know who, you know, got into edibles later in life and it helps them sleep. And I mean, sleep is so important that it's just such a godsend. And also, it, like I was telling your mom today that, you know, when we went out to, I don't know if it was Colorado or California or Washington State or whatever, but I had my period once and I was able to go to a dispensary and got like a patch that I put on. Slow release THC. Yeah. And it, it worked. So to think like, oh, yeah. and that's why it's just so criminal that we've one criminalized this plant for so long, but especially when it comes to like athletes mm-hmm. that it's like, instead of we are like legally you can take opiates, but you can't take weed. 
and like that we oh, that you can like put on your body and heal parts of yourself and like have pain relief. Well, talk it's about not even th- psychoactive. Talk about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's like they if it's they want to prevent them from doing performance enhancing substances, and they put weed into that, and it's just like the only way weed's enhancing your performance is by like alleviating pain in a non-opioid fashion like why wouldn't that be encouraged for athletes and i think it kind of is now i'm pretty sure everyone in the nba and nfl smokes weed it's just like i mean i think there's i don't think it would help you in baseball yeah no no maybe i don't know maybe what is it called when there's um psyop or something i think it's like the alcohol industry and different industries the pain industry yeah that don't you know don't want to compete with weed you know the pharmaceuticals all this stuff so yeah yeah it's like a concerted effort the the paper industry didn't want hemp to be Mm -hmm. widely available i don't know every you know hemp is such a universal do you ever see that video of a um, a car bumper and they take a sledgehammer yeah, it's to made it of hemp. and it's made of hemp and it's just like they're smashing this thing with a sledgehammer and the sledgehammer is just like bouncing off it's like that yeah they, they could have ended up making um, cars a lot of things out of it houses well, we still plastics can. so many plastics could have been replaced with with hemp but they made it illegal yeah and just recently became legal um how you doing you want to get out of here? Do you want to do a short Patreon? I'm down. Or we could just do it because I do want to talk about our um, July plans. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, we're going to do another space camp. We're going to talk about it on the Patreon episode and we'll talk about some other weird shit. I'll tell a weird story. Or yeah, two. It's, it's going to be a quick one. Yeah, we'll do a quick one. But um, we deeply appreciate people supporting us on Patreon. It's helped us get through the past couple of years. It just makes this all seem worth doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like that there's someone who wants a little fireside bullshit where we talk shit on alcohol for the umpteenth time. Eh, whatever. We're just talking shit. No, We're having a good time. No, I will talk shit on alcohol until Every everyone gets it. Yeah. Until yeah. everyone gets it, I will make it my mission to talk shit on alcohol. Yeah. It's, and uh, it, so. It's been uh, unfathomably destructive Yeah. to you know people's bodies, souls, whole countries, cultures, this kind of thing. And... Uh, yeah, there's a time and a place for a little glass of wine, but beyond that, like, get off that shit. Come on. Come on. Listen, we could do better. We can do better. That's all it is. It's just like, it's it's like, let your brightness out. If you think your brightness comes from alcohol, you've been sorely hypnotized by the substance. It's not that, it's not the, uh, it's not the thing. It's not the thing that's generating your brightness, you know? It gives you access to something, and that's where I can even appreciate alcohol. Like, I can appreciate the access I've had to like being a wild person and mm. tapping into wild animalistic natures and stuff like that. There's like a value in that. And I don't want to throw it all out. But. We're not. That's why we're having space camp. We're bringing back space camp and we're going to talk about the details of that on patreon.com slash church at chill. Deeply appreciate all supporting us. Peace, love and magic. Sure.